Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Palm Sunday is a day of incredibly mixed emotions. And you probably have already sensed that. And you probably, some of you at least, are questioning yourself and saying, I'm not quite sure how to feel right now. Because we started off with the liturgy of the palms at the beginning of the service, and we're singing and saying, Hosanna. We're singing all glory, laud, and honor. And then a half an hour later, we've come to the point where we have a moment of silence because we just read that Jesus died. And we've ridden a roller coaster of emotion in a half an hour. And it's hard for us to get our mind around that and our heart around that. For those who might be visiting today, we're continuing on a sermon series talking about the people of the passion. And thus far, what we've talked about is the apostles and Herod and Pilate, Simon of Cyrene, John Guest spoke on Mary Magdalene, and our bishop was here last week and spoke on the soldiers. And today, we're going to focus on the crowds and what the crowds went through at the time of the passion. And if you think about it, many of them in the crowds rode a roller coaster as well. And it wasn't in a half an hour like we've just experienced. But it's in less than a week. In less than a week, what we observe the crowds going through, that we just experienced from the beginning of the service until just a couple of minutes ago, is the ride from... Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. They think their Messiah is coming. They're singing Hosanna to the Son of David. And then, crucify him. And the mixture of emotions. The mixture of responses. And some people, I'm sure, not even clear on what happened and why it happened. Many of you are familiar with the phrase, jumping on the bandwagon. But do you know where the phrase comes from? I love the background to words and phrases. And the background to the word bandwagon actually goes back to the mid-1800s. And the phrase itself, jumping on the bandwagon, historians aren't really sure where it comes from, but the phrase, the word bandwagon, comes from P.T. Barnum. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? A guy who was famous for circuses that would have this phrase, bandwagon. Because 
Because many times when people jump on a bandwagon, it's a circus. And that's what they experience. And the reason that P.T. Barnum called it the bandwagon is because the band would all be on one wagon, and as the circus was coming to town, the band would start playing to bring the people out. And many people would follow the circus until they were set up, and then they would go into the circus. And how many people jump on the bandwagon in various ways in their lives, at different times in their lives? Think about how fickle people are. Think about in your own life, if you can think about a time when you might have been fickle in your own life. I remember the first time that I ever remember seeing someone be fickle. Because, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, which, you know, was kind of colloquial, very loyal place. And we grew up in a neighborhood, a borough of the city of Pittsburgh called Sheridan. And we banked at Sheridan Bank until I moved away from home. We even went back after we moved out to the suburbs. We went to the same gas station all the years that I can remember as a child while we lived in that area. Happened to be my grandfather's gas station, but that's where we went. I rooted for, surprise, the Steelers, the Pirates, the Penguins. I know that surprises some of you. But I remember the first time that I saw my dad become fickle and jump off a bandwagon. And it might be odd for you, for me on Palm Sunday, to use this illustration, but my dad drank Carling's Black Label beer. And he talked, how many remember Carling's Black Label Beer? Some of the older ones in the crowd. My dad swore by Carling's Black Label. That's all he would drink when I was a kid growing up. And then in one case, he got three flat beers. And he was furious. And he tried calling the company, and he wrote the company, and finally, after he didn't hear anything, he said, that's it, I'm done with this beer. And he switched beers. And he never had another Carling's Black Label. I don't know that anyone has ever had another Carling's Black Label. (laughs) That's the first time that I saw someone be fickle that was so embedded in my mind. How something happens and we can change so quickly. How we can be so fickle. Think about a bad meal that you had, maybe at a restaurant, and how that turned you. Or some other bad experience that you had maybe while you were on vacation. And you stayed at a hotel that was really not that great. Or you had terrible service. Whatever it is. And you say, I will never do that again. See, we have certain expectations in our lives. 
And those expectations, when they're not met, we can react in a very, very negative way. We may expect it because we've experienced it before. Or we may expect it just because you're supposed to enjoy whatever it is. And people during this time had certain expectations as to who the Messiah was supposed to be. Especially since he fulfilled this prophecy that comes out of Zechariah that points to the Messiah coming. Let me read it to you. Some of you probably know it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. And they're thinking, this is it. The son of David has come. The Messiah has come. We're going to go from being the underdog and the one that's oppressed to having our king reign. That's the scene. Now what I want to walk through with you is what the crowds experienced from Palm Sunday to Good Friday and then after. First Palm Sunday. You need to remember the mindset of the Jews during this time. This is Passover week. And so hundreds of thousands of Jews are now coming into Jerusalem. So there's huge crowds. What's in their minds as they come to Jerusalem is Passover, which means the people were enslaved in Egypt and God miraculously delivered them. So they have that in their minds. Then for centuries, they have been conquered one army, one nation after another that conquers Israel. And they've been kicked around for hundreds of years. And the most recent one is the oppression of the Romans. The Roman Empire dominating them. With cruel leaders like Herod and Pilate that we talked about a few weeks ago. And then you have the religious leaders on top of that. The religious leaders who piled law after law on top of them so they felt harassed and oppressed by the religious leaders. Legalism dominated. That's the mindset of the people that Jesus is riding in. As Jesus would say, they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. So, at this moment... As Jesus is riding in on this donkey, they have hope. They're throwing palms on the road. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, son of David. And they have this expectation, this is the Messiah. We're no longer going to be oppressed. We're no longer going to be the underdog. We're going to experience the freedom from bondage. Societal bondage. And the Romans will be put down. Freedom from the bondage of sin. That Israel would once again be blessed and be on top. That's the expectation. That's the expectation. 
Jesus is and has been known as a miracle worker. A great preacher and teacher. He wasn't afraid of the Romans. I mean, he rides in with this mob and he's not intimidated by it. Even without wielding weapons. He's not intimidated by the religious leaders because he goes in and he clears the temple and he teaches something contrary to what they were teaching in terms of the law and legalism and God's grace and God's love. But what happens? After these heightened expectations, after the reputation of Jesus, after that first day when he rode into town, Almost a week goes by and nothing happens. And everyone begins to question, who is he? What is he doing? Why isn't anything happening? So the leaders during that time became emboldened. And Judas decides to betray Jesus because Judas is... Not seeing Jesus do what he wants him to do, which is be that kind of Messiah. So at night, they come out and they arrest Jesus. And then we come to Good Friday. Good Friday where the religious leaders were able to get their will done. They were able to get their way. And this mob that at one point, less than a week earlier, was shouting Hosanna, now turns against Jesus. And is crying crucify him. We're told that they were incited by the religious leaders. What does that mean? We don't know. We don't know what incited means. How do you persuade someone? Sometimes you persuade people by your argument. Sometimes you persuade people with a bribe, like we do sometimes with our children. Sometimes you persuade people with threats, like we do with our children. Sometimes out of fear that they could be excommunicated. We're not sure what incited means, but what we discover is this mob, this crowd, that at one point was totally behind Jesus, turns against him, and now they're yelling, crucify him. Something we can't probably envision. Or can we? Have we seen in the last year or two some college campuses that their teams in a football game or a basketball game. And sometimes it doesn't matter whether the team even wins or loses. But the mob that was cheering their team on just a short time ago goes into town and breaks storefront windows and turns cars over. Smart cars, they're easy. But turns cars over. Same group. They were just cheering for their team. And then they turned violent. And that's exactly what these people did. 
They wanted revenge. The leaders did. Because Jesus was not the way he was supposed to be in their minds. He embarrassed, as, as we read in the scriptures, they were jealous of him. They couldn't perform the miracles. They didn't teach with authority. And so they were wanting revenge. And they exacted their revenge through the mob. They took advantage of the moment. And the mob went from Hosanna to crucify him. Hard to fathom. So much so this crowd was bloodthirsty. His blood be on us and on our children. They wanted blood. Maybe for entertainment purposes. Maybe because they were disappointed. We don't know. They wanted blood. Vindication happened. See, the Pharisees and Sadducees thought they were vindicated. The fact that Jesus died on a cross. That they were right. He couldn't come down from the cross. They were right. He wasn't as powerful as he thought he was. They thought they were vindicated. The Romans, good thing we dealt with this guy so that a riot didn't break out and we might have had a war on our hands. They felt vindicated. But who was vindicated? We were vindicated. And Jesus was vindicated. Because in three days, Jesus rose again from the grave. And in three days, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death on the cross and rising again. Jesus was vindicated. Vindicated means he was right. I love being right. Don't you? See, now Jesus doesn't act like I would have acted. But who ultimately was vindicated was Jesus. Because Good Friday is not the end of the story. Because after Good Friday, Easter Sunday comes. And by the cross, he defeated the power of sin and death. And by his resurrection, he shows that he has that power over sin, over death. So Jesus is vindicated three days by the resurrection. And for those who believe in him, vindication happens as well. We are declared righteous because of his sacrifice. And we have the confidence of faith because of the resurrection. But we need the cross. Because we are guilty. We are sinful. We need the cross. 
Because it's through the cross that vindication happens. And it's through the resurrection that we know we have the power over sin and death through Jesus Christ and what he did. And even beyond that, we have the power of the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost. We have vindication in Jesus Christ. Think of times in your life where you jumped on the bandwagon or jumped off. Think back if you really can't come up with a time when you used to date in high school. How quickly you could switch your emotions. Think about people that you know and maybe yourself who have gone through divorce and it goes from love to almost hatred. Think about how times in your lives everything is going along great and wonderful and you're joyful and at peace. Maybe the death of a loved one or a diagnosis unnerves you, undoes you. And how you change. Many people have had that experience. Restaurants, companies, Teams, relationships. Where we've changed drastically. Where we've jumped off the bandwagon. Jesus came and died on a cross so that we would jump on his bandwagon and stay there. That this life that we're invited to live, that we aren't like the crowds who can be so fickle, that one minute we affirm Jesus as our Savior and our Lord and say he's everything and Hosanna, and then a week, a month, a year later, we're off the bandwagon. He disappointed me. It's inconvenient. I'm not getting what I expected. We jump off. Or we just pay lip service. We're not really with him. Jesus went to the cross because he loves us, because we need a Savior, because we're dead in our sin without him. And Jesus rose again to show that he's Lord. And then Pentecost. 
That after Pentecost, it wasn't just his apostles. It wasn't just a few disciples. It was thousands in the crowd who maybe just a few weeks before went from Hosanna to crucify him to being baptized. Conviction and conversion. And lived the life. They understood vindication. And I'm sure even on that Good Friday, the crowds weren't as convinced. Crucifying, because maybe, just maybe, they heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We need forgiveness. It is finished. The debt's been paid. And they walked away wondering, what did he mean? Forgive them. What did he mean? It's finished. It's paid for. It means through him and his death on the cross. And his rising again means we can be vindicated by faith. That's what it means. And that when the Holy Spirit came, the power of the Holy Spirit coming on the apostles, on those who believe, we can be different. That it's not just about vindication, it's about transformation. A changed life. And empowered by Him to live the life that He calls us to. That's why He came. That's why He died on a cross. Where are you in the crowd? Are you on the bandwagon? Or do you jump off and get back on again? Or maybe you've jumped off now and you're wondering why you're even here. Because he died for you. Because he rose for you. Because he offers the power of the Holy Spirit for you. You can be on the bandwagon. Are you? Are you? Please bow with me in prayer. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Lord God, we are often a fickle people. Exchanging our loyalties for pleasure. 
for personal happiness, for worldly gain, for entertainment. We switch from politician to politician, from company to company, from relationship to relationship, whenever it suits us, whenever it feels good. We even run lukewarm in our faith at times. Lord, I pray this day, when we have experienced the high of Palm Sunday and the low of Jesus' death, that we would understand in our hearts, in our minds, why he came. That he came to die for our sin and bring us vindication. came to rise again from the dead to bring us faith. And he came to send the Holy Spirit that we might be transformed, converted and convinced that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. I pray this day, Lord, that every person here would be on the bandwagon this day and for all eternity proclaiming Jesus is Lord. He is risen and he is Lord. And we pray this in his precious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.